Would you please pray along with me as I pray? Father, I thank you, Lord, for the truth that we've already heard, spoken, and sung, and just read. Um, it's almost unbelievable. Except that, as a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, I experience your life in me, as do all who call you Abba Father. So Lord, I thank you for the season that we've been in, where we get to take some time Intentionally take a breath, breathe you in, and be reminded that peace, love, hope, and joy are found in perfection in Jesus Christ. And that someday soon you will return again and complete your plan. Christmas is a day that we celebrate, Lord, that reminds us that you are a God who makes and perfectly keeps every one of your promises. And they all find their yes in your son, Jesus. So, Lord, as we continue to celebrate and worship you for who you are, the God who was the Word and became flesh, I pray that you would be magnified in and through us, not just today and this morning and this weekend, but throughout the coming year. In Jesus' name I pray these things, and all God's people said, Amen. Well, good morning. The angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy. For today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. It's interesting that they didn't say an entertainer has been born to you. Because we didn't need entertainment. If what we needed was financial security, I'm guessing God would have sent us an accountant. In fact, if what we needed was was earthly relationship peace, I'm guessing God would have sent us a counselor. And although Jesus is all of those things, he is perfectly entertaining. He is the wonderful counselor. He owns everything. That's not what the world needed. So God sent us not what we maybe wanted, but what we needed. And that is a Savior. And that Savior that was born in a manger lived for 30 plus years as a man until John the Baptist sees him one day and he says, Behold, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The most miraculous event in the history of the world took place a couple thousand years ago. We will celebrate that here, not just today, but tomorrow at 4.30. But guys, don't lose sight of that. Right? Don't lose sight of the fact that, that God came here as a man. He took on flesh to do what only he could do, to redeem back to a sovereign king the ones who had rebelled and continue to rebel against him. Right? The reason we need a savior, savior is because we're all rebels. 
And if you sit here today and go, I don't think I'm rebelling against God, start there with that thought, and we'll work backwards to salvation. And we'll get there by the end of today's message, Lord willing. But here's the best news. Not only did he come to redeem us, but he will come again. Because Jesus says at the end of the Bible in in, um, Revelation 22, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. He will come again. The question is, will we be ready? Will his people in Christ be ready for his return? We want to be a people, I said last week, who live and look and pray forward, not backwards. Yes, it's good to look back at the manger scene and it's good to celebrate all those fulfilled promises, but that is only to give us courage in looking forward to the future because our future lasts forever. Everyone's does. Everyone's future lasts forever. The only question is address. Where? So today, we're going to look at Behold, the Lamb who brings joy. We've already looked at peace, love, and hope, and today we're going to look at joy, and we're going to look at it by asking this question. How do we know joy? How do we know? How do we experience? How do we have joy? And we're going to look at that not just in, in looking at what the Bible says about joy, but we teach a text here. We don't just talk about a topic. And so we're going to look at a, a piece of Scripture that, that talks about the joy of God. Now, we've been in Romans the last three weeks, but we're not going to be in Romans today. We're going to be in 1 Peter. So find 1 Peter in your Bible. It's towards the, the easiest way to find it if you're not familiar with the Word, and, and that's okay. That's nothing to be embarrassed about. The only way to get familiar with it is to just be in it. So you go to Revelation at the very end of your Bible and start working backwards to the left. You're going to get past a bunch of J's, Jude, and the Johns that are small books, so don't go too far. And then you're going to get to 2 Peter and 1 Peter. If you get to Hebrews... Or James, you've gone too far. So we're going to look at 1 Peter. And we're going to talk about this question of how do we know joy. Look at the first couple of verses of 1 Peter. Chapter 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and who who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. That's all like, that's just like a hello to Peter. You know, how you doing? Like nowadays in texting, I don't even know if that would be just like a hey. We don't even say hello anymore. But look at this. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Yeah, I wish we still talked like that. I really do. I mean, it sounds kind of, you know, it'd be said, you know, I wish grace and peace would be yours, Pete, in the fullest measure. That sounds kind of hokey. But guys, that is such, that is so like graciously and grace-centered speech. I wish we talked more like that today, just because I think we would all be better people. But I want you to remember this as we move on with the rest of the passage and the teaching points today. Peter is talking to a church that is being persecuted. Right? This, is, this is the first century church. It's 30, 30 plus years after Christ has died. They are, they are being hunted down and tortured and crucified. Peter himself, church history tells us, was crucified upside down because he didn't want to die the same way his Lord did. So this is, this is given to a people who are undergoing struggles and trials. Because so, sometimes we can read the New Testament and we can kind of go, well, it would have been so easy to be then. no. They had it much harder than any of us have ever had it. But in the midst 
of their waiting. Remember, Advent is just waiting. Advent is just waiting for his first return. That's what they did. Advent now is second Advent is we're just waiting for his second return. In the midst of their waiting, what Peter's going to tell them and us is, here is how you keep, have, and experience the joy that is yours in Jesus Christ. So let's look at that with our first point, which is we need to know what's in store for us. We need to know what's in store for us. So look at the next few verses. Verses 3 through 5. It says, Blessed be the God of our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Guys, there's so much there that we could talk about. And it sounds a lot like Paul's writing that we've looked at in the past here and even over the last few weeks. But guys, look at just the, the first little part that he talks about. Blessed be the God of our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused you to be born again to the resurrection of the dead and to obtain an inheritance that is imperishable. Right? It's, it's similar to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 when, when he says, don't turn there, but Ephesians chapter 1 he says that, that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Right? There is nothing God is holding back from us. Present tense. Even as we look forward to the things that he is laying up for us in heaven that are gonna, that's going to blow our minds when we get there. And then I love even how in the first part he says, you were born again not just in hope, but you were born again in a living hope. That's like a, a now kind of thing. He's saying your hope is not just in the sweet by and by, but your hope is in the here and now. Right? We looked at the, the first week we taught, we asked, I asked the question, how do we find peace? And we realized that in Romans 5, Paul tells us that God made peace with us. Right, through the cross of Jesus Christ. The next week we looked at how do we love well. And in Romans 8 we realized Paul said because we know we're well loved. Right, it's, not about, it's not about us and how good we are at this. It's how good he is to us that even allows this to happen. This horizontal love. And then last week we looked at how do we keep hope. And the answer is because we know that God is the only one that gives it and our hope even in the here and now, is ultimately set in eternity. Today is a dot on a line that will last forever, people. No matter what we're going through, today is a dot. This could be the best day of your life today. It's a dot. A year from now, you won't remember today. This could be the worst day of your life right now. You could have gotten the worst news ever and come in here. And if that's true for you today, I would ask you to come talk to me after the service so we can pray for you. But today could be the worst day of your life. This could be the worst Christmas you have ever had. And it's a dot on a line that will last forever. And a year from now, and in eternity, you won't remember. God always has the long view of things. And I love how he finishes this little part. He says, for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Guys, when is that? What's he talking about? What's Peter talking about? Salvation revealed at the last time. The second coming. His return. 
That's he's saying, guys, you have this amazing living hope now that is going to be fully revealed when he returns. So, how do we know joy? One, we have to know what's in store. We have to know that, man, God has got this imperishable, beyond imagination blessing that, is, that he's waiting to give us in full in heaven. The second thing we have to know is that we have to know that our life is not about now. This life is not about now. This life is about then. Look at what he says in the next three verses. Now remember, he's talking to a church that is struggling. They're hurting. Physically. They're scared. And he says, In this you greatly rejoice. This, meaning the stuff we just talked about, this amazing blessing, this hope that we have, this inheritance that we have. He says, In this we greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you, have been, you are distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as an outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. That's an amazing promise, too, I think, that we could spend a lot of time on. But if you look at, at verse 7 alone, when he says that, that you may be found, that, that, that you may be found, that, that, that this may be found as a result, let me just read it so I don't mess it up, as a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, when's he talking about? When, when Christ comes back in full, your, your, this faith that you are keeping is going to result in praise and glory and honor at his full coming. Guys, he does not say to these people, he doesn't say, you know what, if you would just put your faith in Christ, your life is going to be better. If you would just stick with Jesus, your situation is going to get, is going to improve. He doesn't say that here. He says, guys, if you will just keep the faith, if you will just stick with Jesus, your solution is ultimately going to be gloriously victorious. Because someday you're going to be with him forever. So he's trying to drive home this point of God will finish what he started. God is going to finish the job he started in you. Look at verse 6. In this we greatly rejoice. Doesn't that sound, that, 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 that's now. In this right now we greatly rejoice. That sounds a lot like Paul in Ephesians chapter 4. Rejoice Always, again, I say rejoice. It's this exceeding abundant joy no matter what is going on in your life that can only come through the Holy Spirit. Right? We, we, we can't on our own just muster up this, I'm just going to be a happy person. I've just got to have a more positive outlook. Man, that'll last a few hours maybe. You know, if you're, if you're really good at it, you might make it a week. But in order to have that be your lifestyle, it can only be supernatural. It can only be moment by moment, renewing your mind with the truth of who God is and what his word tells you, who you are to him. Look at where, in verse 8, he says, he says, you love him, even though you don't see him, you love him, and even though you don't see him now, you believe in him, and you, and you greatly rejoice in, with joy inexpressible and full, of and full of glory. That's where our joy is found. He's not saying, my, he's, he's like, guys, your circumstances are hard, but your joy is found in Jesus alone. 
That's it. Right? Remember what, John, what Jesus said, John 10, 10? I came that you might have life and have it abundantly or to the full. That means finished, completed. Ultimately, even then in John 10, 10, he isn't taught, Jesus is not talking about your circumstances today. He's talking about, ultimately, I came that you would have life to the full in eternity. And then in John 15, sometime later, in John 15, right after he gets done talking to the, the disciples, he's talking to them about him being the, he's the vine and we're the branches and be, we, we have to stay connected and abide in him. He says, I came that, that you might have my joy and that my joy might be full in you. Because the only way that can happen, here's how, according to Peter, according to Jesus, is if we stay connected to Christ. And then ultimately it says, and in verse 9, I love this, and then all of this you obtain as an outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Right? Ultimately, he's like, the end, the end game here is, is your eternal salvation. It's Philippians 1.6. Right? He says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it on the day of Christ Jesus. What day is that? The second coming. Guys, do you see why celebrating Christmas in light of his second advent is so important? Because all of these writers in, in the Gospels, in, in um, the New Testament, are all pointing to some future thing. Why? Because they know God who's fulfilled these promises from, from Genesis chapter 3, the rest of this book is about getting us back to the garden. Right? And two things have to happen for that to happen. One, we have to be redeemed. That happened at the cross. Two, everything has to be restored. That will happen at his second coming. He will make all things new. And you'll hear more about that next week. So how do we know joy? One, we have to know what's in store. Two, we have to know that this life is not about now. But here's the best part and how it connects to Christmas. Here's how this message connects to a Christmas story. We have to know that he has a plan. Is the only way you can keep joy in the middle of getting punched in the face by life, which happens regularly in this world, is if you know even this is part of God's plan. I think I shared the story before about uh, a couple years ago, maybe now. Abby looked at me and she said, you know, Dad, have you been praying for, I can't remember if it was happiness or to be more, be more joyful or be more peaceful? Because she said, I said, no, I haven't. Why? And she said, because we've had some things come up recently in your life that normally would have really set you off, and they just seem to be bouncing like you seem to be handling. In her very sweet Abby way, she was trying to say, you're doing a lot better, Dad, at staying patient. <laughs> right? But what I told her is that I wasn't, I'm not praying for patience. I, I mean, I do pray for patience, but I wasn't then. I'm not praying for peace. I'm not praying for joy. I'm praying that God would show me, in that time I was praying specifically, God remind me that everything that comes at me is filtered through you. Every single thing. Every eye roll from my kid, every argument with my wife, every car that cuts me off on the road, every yellow light that turns yellow just before I could actually run it. Don't do that, kids. Right? Like, all those things are sovereignly orchestrated by a God who's in control of all things. When you see that, those things aren't that big a deal. You're like, thank you, God, for stopping me to go through that intersection, because maybe there's a reason you want me to stop here. For my good and your glory. So ultimately, we need to know that he has a plan, 
and that no matter what you're going through right now, and some of you are having a hard time. Some of you are going through some hard times right now. And I only know a fraction of them. God has not lost control of your life. I'll say that again, guys. No matter what you're going through right now in life, God has not lost control. There is never a time in anything that is going on in your life where God is like, what am I going to do now? There's nothing. There's not even a sin that you commit. Does God go, oh man, I I need to recheck my book. Is is Doug really in my book? Is he really in the book of life? Because I did not see that one coming. That's not true. Guys, think, just think about this for a second. Jesus came as a baby born in a manger to what? To live a perfect life and to die a, a, a sacrificial death for our redemption. When were all of my sins redeemed? At the cross. Before I committed any of them. Including the ones I'm going to commit later today. Because that's a God who is in control of everything. And yet, in the midst of all of that, he looked down from heaven, and in, in, in this time where I'm shaking my fist at him and literally cursing his name, he looks at me, he looks down and he goes, that one is mine, and I will redeem him from the pit of hell. And he wants to do the same thing for you if you're not his. So let's look at what Peter says about this in these next few verses. Verse 10. He says, as to this salvation, I I, I just love how this so beautifully pictures Christmas. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come, so he's talking about the Old Testament writers. Don't let his, like, kind of long sentences here, which are really long sentences. Um, He must have been reading a lot of Paul when he wrote this or something. Um, He says, don't let his long sentences throw you. At the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come, to, to be, that would come, to you would made careful searches and inquiries. So all he's saying is, he's saying these prophets who were spoken to by the Spirit of God, who wrote the Old Testament, they're trying to figure out. They were not told the whole plan. They were given little pieces over over 1,500 years. They're giving pieces of God's plan. They get this one little sliver of it. So they're trying to figure it out. They're like, man, what? How's all this going to fit together? Look at verse 11. Seeking to know what person or time. The Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. So he's saying, all they were, what they're trying to figure out, the prophets who wrote the Old Testament are trying to figure out, when is the Messiah coming? And then it says, it was, but, but here's the beautiful part of it. it. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. That's the plural you in Greek. You all. Not you personally, individually, Doug. You are all the church. They were serving you in these things which, you now, which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Guys, do you see that? In, in verse 10, as to this salvation, he's saying this salvation that you're ex- currently experiencing right now, your redemption and future restoration, as to this salvation, 
Verse 11, they were seeking to know when the Messiah was going to come. Guys, these Old Testament prophets were desperately trying to figure it out. They did not know. Daniel did not know. Isaiah did not know. David did not know. None of them knew exactly how this plan was going to unfold. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? And once they start figuring it out, they realize this isn't even for us in our time. It is for a future time. And then it says, they were not serving themselves, but you. Guys, we have a, this, this should just blow us away. I mean, this, in, light of, in light of the truth of what Christmas represents, the fulfilled promises of God. And last week we had a sheet that listed them. There's probably some copies on the back table if you weren't here. Grab a copy of just some of the promises that God made in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in Christ's coming. Now get this. Those men that wrote those promises, Isaiah, in the, king, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the throne room of God. He gets a vision of heaven. A real one. Not whatever it was, three minutes in heaven and I'm going to write a book about it. Which was not accurate. I'm talking about a real vision of heaven. Where the train of God's robe is filling the entire temple. And all of these amazing angels are flying around saying, holy, holy, holy. Here's what this verse is saying. We have a better view than Isaiah. We, we are living the story they're writing about. We get to live out this message that they were just dreaming of. And that ought to really excite us. Guys, we get this. Guys, get this. Look at me. A peasant man, born in a barn, changed the world. A peasant man, born in a barn, changed everything. Guys, get this. Who ruled the world when Christ was born? Who was the world superpower, at least in that area? In a huge area. Who? What Rome? Where are they? Where are they? They're a bunch of ruins in a place called Italy now. And since that time, superpower after superpower has come and gone. And the church that Christ started has just kept on going. It started in a barn with a baby who had nothing. Isaiah tells us he wasn't even good looking. I mean, that's not blasphemy to say that Jesus wasn't that good looking. The word says Jesus was not that good looking. He is not like the pictures we see. Blue eyes, flowing hair, looking like the Brett girl on television or something. That is not Jesus. Right? But he changed everything, and he still does. Because he is still changing the world. The problem is, we just don't see it in America. All we get is the headlines about church attendance is going down, and, and people are walking away from the faith. And, and Guys, the church of Jesus Christ is exploding all over the globe. The gospel has been accepted by more people worldwide in the last 20 years than at any time in human history. That is a fact. We just don't see it. Because it's not happening here. Because what we have done is we've gotten our eyes off of the cross and onto all of this stuff that we put our hope in, that we try to find our peace through. 
Whereas in a world where you have no stuff, you're going, man, this gospel thing is really, really good news. And it's just exploding all over the world. Here's the last thing I want to say about this point, and it's, and it's worth spending some time on it, because it's such a great little, it's just a little, it's like, he, it's like he just adds this thing at the very end of verse 12. So here's this amazing story. The prophets didn't know what they were talking about. They, they are excited that, that they got to just even be a part of the story. We are actually getting front row seats to the story. And then it says, and through us living out the story, angels long to look. Because do we get what that means? These powerful beings. I mean, you know, we have this, angels are not little cherubim with wings and naked rear ends flying around going, woohoo, right? If, if every time an angel shows up in the Bible, what happens to the person that sees the angel? Flat on their face, terrified. Why? Because these things are amazing. And yet these amazing beings, they do not know the whole story either. They're just like the prophets, they, they do not know. They, know they, were, they were created before the fall, sometime between when God spoke creation into existence and when Adam fell in the garden. They, they, a third of them came down too. And, but these beings don't know the whole story. They are not eternal beings. I mean, they are, they are eternal beings, but they're not all-knowing beings. And so here are these beings that... that are looking at us because they're going, we get to see how this story of the grace of God plays out in real time by us. They don't know. They want to see it. What a shame when we don't show it to them. Guys, this is why when Gabriel shows up to Zacharias in the temple, Zacharias in the temple in Luke chapter, you, you read it, I don't know when it was, last week or the week before. Zacharias is in the temple. He's, he's um, giving tribute to God, and Gabriel shows up. And he says, oh, by the way, your wife, who's over childbearing age Elizabeth, is going to have a baby. And you remember Zacharias' ignorant comment? How do I know what you're telling me is the truth? You remember Gabriel's answer? I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and you will be silent why, why? Why was Gabriel so offended? One, because he's a pretty awesome being. And two, because he's going, I've waited thousands of years to come and finally tell this story that God is going to bring to fruition right now through, his, through coming to earth. And your response to me, Zacharias, is how do I know you're telling me the truth? He was going to lose his mind. So he says, you're going to be quiet. I don't want another single ridiculous thing. So I didn't even use the bad word. The ridiculous thing to come out of your mouth. So you're going to be quiet. Because do you remember? And the, and the same thing, Mary. Like when, when he's, he's so excited. He's so excited to talk to Mary. He's like, Gabriel comes down and he's like, greetings, favored one. You know, you found favor with God. You're going to have a baby. And the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And this, this baby is going to be the most high. And, and his government is never going to end. And he's, and he's rattling off all these amazing things. To, to Mary. And as sweet as Mary was, as this little teenage girl, do you remember what her response to that was? Um, I'm going to have a what? Because like, she's not even, she, he is so excited, he blows past the details of, here's how you're going to have a baby. He says, oh, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you, and let's keep going. Okay, any woman in this room buying that on face value? Any husband of any woman in this room buying that on face value? No. 
So she's back here stuck with, I'm going to have a what? And, 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 and can I just ask, he, she's like, can I just ask a technical question? I believe you. I would just like you to fill me in a little bit on exactly how this is going to happen. Because I've never been with the man. I'm a virgin. Gabriel doesn't really care about that. Why? Because he's interested in this story coming to fruition in that moment. And he cannot contain his excitement. It's why in our, in our invocation passage today that Jeff read, when the angel comes to the, to the shepherds and they're greatly terrified, I mean, it means, it means they wet their pants, basically. That's how amazing this angel was. And they say, they say the same thing. I bring you good news of great joy for today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And then, and then it's, like, it's like he was the one sent. And you can almost picture all of these other angels in the heavenlies. Like, just, like, like they just cannot wait to come celebrate. Because what's just happened in the manger, according to the, what we just read? He was born. And they know it. They, they, they flew over there. They said, he's born. And they go racing to these shepherds. And I don't know if it was Gabriel. It doesn't say if it was Gabriel that spoke to the shepherd, the shepherd first. But they cannot hold back a host of heavenly angels, it says. They, just, they can't keep it quiet anymore. Why? Because they had waited thousands of years. And finally God says, go. And man, they are just pumped. Right? And, and, and we, guys, but here's the point in how it relates to us. We, in how we wait for his second coming, are teaching them what faith looks like. Because they are shocked. I, I, would, I, would, I would venture to guess they are shocked that this God just continually loves us. Because over and over and over again, we shake our fist at him, and over and over again, he says, died for that, died for that, died for that. And yet, so, so they're like, man, we do not get this grace story, but we are excited to see how it ends. And we are the ones who get to teach it to him. Okay, so how do we know joy? Well, we have to know he has a plan, right? He, the, the angels know he has a plan, and they're excited. We know he has a plan. It's right here. We ought to be excited. We ought to be the most excited, joy-filled people in the world because we get it. We win. No matter what, we win. They can crucify me upside down. I win. Why? Because Christ won for me. And nothing can defeat him. But the last thing here, and this is our last verse, and I'll wrap it up with this. It says, Verse 13, therefore, prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit just means be spirit-led. Fix your hope on him. On, on his grace that comes with Jesus Christ. Guys, are we waiting well? And here's a question that, that, that I, ask, I ask, God, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I mean, it's a great story. We know the end. It's a great ending. I really want the new heaven and the new earth to come. 
There will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more relationship hostility, no more relationship hostility this way or this way. It will be perfect. It will be the garden before the fall. It'll be like this, but with no sin. We can't even imagine. So I'm like, God, what are you waiting for? Like, seriously, he's waiting for you. He's waiting for me. He's waiting for a world to recognize who he is. He's waiting for the unsaved in our world to come to Christ. Peter tells us late in his second letter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, God is not slow about fulfilling these promises, no matter what we think. No matter how much you're sitting here right now going, okay, I get it, Pastor Doug, but why doesn't he just finish the job? Peter tells us the answer. He's not slow, but he's patient towards you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So if you don't know Christ, would you just come to know Christ so that we can go home? Like seriously. And we that do know Christ, should we not be sharing him with as many people as we can so we can go home and they can come with us? Guys, you, you, I, I used to ask this question all the time as, as an unbelieving 20-something-year-old cynic. I wasn't even a skeptic. Wait a minute, what about all those people that never hear the gospel? Here's the deal. 2,000 years ago, he told his church to take the gospel to every tribe and tongue and nation in the world. We need to do it. Why? Because once that happens, what happens? He comes again. That's what he says. Once the gospel has gone to every people group in the world, he will return. That's his plan. I am so glad we are part of, we are, we are a church body that doesn't just desire to be here, but we desire to go there. Right? And we're going to watch him come back and he will find us faithful. I finish with this. Is, get this. He is, Christ is, the perfect revelation of God. We'll see that tomorrow night in our short candlelight service, but he is, Jesus is, the perfect revelation of God. Paul says it this way in Galatians. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that we could adopt, he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you who are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Guys, we have so much to be looking forward to in our waiting. Let's make the most of the time. But guys, get the gospel, the good news of great joy, is not just a proclamation. It is an invitation. It is an invitation to those who have never come to faith in Christ to come, to make sure that, that your eternity is secure in Jesus. And I'm going to pray to that end. 
And for those of us that do know we're his, it is an invitation to live for something much grander than your plan for your life. He's got a better plan. And this life is just the beginning. Let's pray. So Father, I thank you, Lord, for that truth. Lord, I thank you that you are a grand God and you are telling a grand story of grace. I thank you that the prophets got to proclaim it in part and we get to live it in full. I thank you that we get to tell your heavenly beings what grace looks like. And Lord, I thank you that the good news is an invitation that your son made. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Lord, I pray that today no one would leave this place. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that no one would leave this place without being fully assured that they will spend eternity together with you and with us who proclaim you as Lord and Savior. And for those of us that do know you, Lord, I pray that we would stop playing around. That we wouldn't just go, oh look, a baby was born in a manger for my sins. Thank you, Lord. But that we would look and go, that is just proof of a God who has a plan and is fulfilling it. And that plan includes me. Lord, I thank you most of all that you don't give up on us. No matter how weary our race, no matter how much we struggle, your grace is sufficient. May we just come to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.